Welcome to the Black and Blue Podcast, where we talk about the experiences of being a Black African-American male and a peace officer. Each week, listen to the personal stories, topics, and discussions about this duality. I will share my personal experiences along with having periodic guests. Whether you want to learn more about this, understand it better, or just want to listen as a therapy session, I welcome you, and this is the podcast for you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Alfred, and I'm here today with our guest, Brother Evans. How's it going, Brother Evans? Doing good, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. Again, just like to thank you for taking the time out your day uh, to do this interview for us. We definitely appreciate you. So before we get started, um, let the listeners know a little bit about you, uh, about who you are, where you grew up, type of environment you grew up education and your career path just get a brief glimpse of of your background okay well i'm a uh fresno state alumni played football at fresno uh majored in social work i initially wanted to major in sports medicine but then i i was told i was going to need to attend a little more school than i had anticipated so therefore i switched my major up i uh didn't really want to go the criminology route because, you know, all of the football players were basically going that route. They were using criminology as their major, and I wanted to be a little different, so I went sociology. Mm-hmm. So I did my internship with the California Youth Authority uh, parole, and when I did my, my internship, I, I liked the aspect of working with the troubled youth, and um, I saw myself as a as a mentor, as a mentor, and um, I saw that I was, you know, making making some difference in in the clientele with their with their daily lives or whatnot. Um, from there, I started working with Fresno Juvenile Hall. I worked there for approximately a year, and during that process, while I was working there, I applied for the California Youth Authority in Chino. From there, I got hired as a youth correctional counselor. Worked for the California Youth Authority for five years. I laddered out to adult parole and was a parole agent for 24 plus years. Okay. And you, uh, you currently retired, correct? That, that's correct. All right. Now, <clears throat> along with uh, you doing some internships um, while you were in uh, college as well as working afterwards, was that one of the reasons why you chose to become a peace officer or, or did there were, or were there any other early influences growing up as a youth or in your adult life that persuaded you to become a peace officer? Yeah, well, my father was a, uh, he was a deputy sheriff and I, I personally did not want to become a, a cop. You know, I wanted to be a, um, a mentor slash big brother for troubled youth is what I wanted to do. And as I, as I went through college and worked with the, you know, my, doing my internship or whatnot, I saw that um, social work was the field that I had the ability to work with these, with this clientele. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, also, like I said, working with the youth authority, you know, their peace officers or whatnot. And um, I was, I saw that I was able to wear both hats. I could be law enforcement and a counselor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. Thank you for that. Now, do, did you find it difficult living the duality of being a Black African-American male as well as a peace officer? You know, um, there were some difficulties. Um, and I, I say that 
because of the clientele itself, you know, working in the inside the institution, everything is racially segregated amongst the inmates. Um, you know, you have your blacks, your browns, your whites, your Asians. And that was that was a a big eye opener for me when I first started. Um, Cause I had never, I had never personally experienced segregation like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you have the white inmates who were very racial inside the institution. You know, they use the N word a lot. Um, you have the Hispanic population who rode with the white population and, you know, they use the N word a lot or derogatory um, Spanish racist words, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, it, it, it built my, it built my character. It opened my eyes up to a lot as far as, you know, being a black man, you know? Okay. Now, how did you process all of that when you were, you know, receiving, you know, the, the negative, you know, name calling, uh, et cetera, uh, while you were, were working inside? Well, you know, I knew it was, it was, um, it came with the trade once I was already in it. And, you know, and with that being said, you know, there, there's policies and they teach you how to, um, what not to do, so to speak, you know, and you just have to, you have to learn how to hold the inmates accountable for their actions. Um, being, you know, you write them up or you place them on detention or something like that. And once, once the inmates knew that, their behavior wasn't accepted, then they learned to give you that respect mm-hmm. and not and not use you know, not use the words. Okay. Now did you do you feel that what you endured while you were at work that it affected you outside of work? That's a good question. You know, nothing nothing was really brought to to surface with that with me, although I, I knew inside but I think, you know, my appearance and the way I conducted myself alleviated people from, from, you know, using words towards me like that, derogatory words and stuff like that, you know? Okay. So, so not, much, not much really affected your life outside of work due to the, the negative, negative behaviors that you experienced. Correct. Now, did any of that um, bleed over to you when you became a parole agent? Oh, yes. Yes. Was, was um, there? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, amongst, amongst the, the parolees themselves, I mean, they're institutionalized. So, you know, the, a lot of their, their ways about them were, were established inside the prison and brought to the streets. Mm-hmm. So, so that's, you know, that's kind of like all they knew. And of course, then they had to be uh, checked on it, you know? Now, as, um, now this next question I want you to think of it as you being a peace officer as well as you being a non-peace officer. Were there any experiences or encounters that you personally had with law enforcement that was negative? I, I can't personally say that I have. Um, I know that, you know, at work, there's a lot of um, cliques, mm-hmm. you know, uh, staff that hang around their particular race and associated with their particular race and did not really associate much with the black race. You know, I, I experienced that, but like I said, I've never had anybody directly come at me in a racist, a racist um, perception, I guess. Okay. Because you never had any personally 
were you around maybe any friends or family members that may have had that type of interaction, negative interaction with law enforcement? Have you experienced that as a witness? I cannot say that I have. I know like with my children, you know, I've always told them what I would expect of them if they were to ever be pulled over by, you know, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, hands on the steering wheel, roll all your windows down, follow their instructions, you know, and that's pretty much it. Like I said, I haven't um, personally experienced it or or seen any. Um, okay, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> okay. Why, why do you feel that you had to explain to your children uh, about how to act when they are approached by law enforcement? You know, you see a lot of stuff on social media. You see a lot of, you see stuff in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and and all, that's, all that is real stuff, you know. It, it happens. Um, I'm not in denial that it does not happen or has happened. And, you know, the way that I've raised my children are, you know, not to, not to see color as, as, a, as a race. You know, we're all human beings and everyone deserves to be treated as human beings and you treat people the way you want to be treated, you mm-hmm. know? They have, you know, they've grown up or they were raised where they weren't really raised around a lot of people of color, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so therefore, they were naive to all of that, you know? racism and stuff like that right um but once they've once it was brought to their attention and they've seen what happens it opened their eyes as well you know Mm -hmm. gotcha do you feel that uh appearance matters as far as if and we're talking about the minority communities or people of color do you feel that their appearance matters whether they're wearing a suit or whether versus wearing casual clothing or whether they have long hair versus short hair, do you feel that that matters when dealing with law enforcement or just being out in public in general? I do. I do. You know, first first impression goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And and when you, you know, as they're saying, you know, birds of a feather flock together, you walk like a duck, you know, you talk like a duck, you walk like a duck, you are a duck. So, you know, if you have, and it's, and, and those are stereotype sayings, you know, However, you know, people are, you know, you have the, the person who is, who grew up in the hood or whatnot, you know, and, and they were financially challenged, so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're accustomed to a certain dress style. I get it. But because, because of their dress, you know, you have law enforcement officers are, that are going to, what's the word? Um, stereotype. Look at them, stereotype them. Yeah. Pass, pass judgment on them and so forth, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I do believe that, you know, the way you dress, the way you look goes a long way. It can hurt you or it can, you know, work in your favor. Now, now you, you what, six? How tall are you? I'm six four. Six four. Now, have you ever experienced while you were in public, have you ever experienced or felt tension uh, in, in public settings because of who you are? I have. I have. And, you know, like, like I said earlier, you know, working inside the institution, you learn how to, to develop that, that sense of tension amongst races. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can go to a nightclub and, and you just, there's so much tension in that, in that setting that you feel like you can cut it with a knife, you know? So, yes, I have. Okay. I want to now read a tweet that was tweeted by Richard Sherman, the, the uh, 
NFL player. He tweeted this back in May, uh, on May 31st, actually. And of course, it's during the times, you know, that we're in COVID-19. And this was the tweet that he tweeted. He, uh, he stated, it's, cu- it's, it's curious the way I'm treated in public when I have a mask on and when I don't. When I wear a mask, I feel the tension that I have felt since I was a child. I can feel the looks I get of people who assume I'm a threat. But when the mask comes off and suddenly I'm not a threat. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Can you, can you relate to that tweet that he, he tweeted out? You know, it's, um, I, I, can, I can relate in the aspect that I, I can feel what he feels. Mm-hmm. Um, although, like I said, I've never, I haven't experienced that myself, but I know that, you know, the first thing that I thought of when we started, um, having to wear a mask is that that's a straight cover up for, a for a burglary to happen or, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you see someone who is dressed in an attire that is not professional or modern or whatnot. Yeah. You're going to be stereotyped. You know, and you, and people's guards are going to be up. So you feel it, it it raises more eyebrows, so to speak. So having the mask on basically adds an additional layer of you know, quote unquote, fear to the public because now they don't know, you know, who's behind that mask. Exactly. Um, have you ever had to check or confront a colleague before for anything um, that was? either unethical or racist comments or just being insensitive to an issue that pertain to race or anything of that nature? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that or ask that question. I just, um, just last week, it wasn't a colleague, but it was a friend. Uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was a, it was a new friend, I should say, a new acquaintance, okay. a new neighbor. I'll say a new neighbor. Okay. You know, he, uh, we've probably hung out about four times and during the course of those four times, you know, he, he's cracked, he's Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Right? He's cracked a couple of black jokes or whatnot. And, you know, I, I have tough skin, so I didn't, I didn't take it to heart or whatnot. The other night I had him and his, his fiance over the house and we were watching some, some uh, comedy shows or whatnot. Let me rewind. A couple of weeks ago, we had gone to another neighbor's house who invited me over and I invited this neighbor with me over mm-hmm. to the other neighbor's house whom they've never met before. And this is my first time hanging out with this other neighbor. Mm-hmm. So um, while we're there at the neighbor's houses, you know, we were, you know, just hanging out, getting acquainted. And um, this particular neighbor had cracked a black joke and it, it caught me off. It, well, it caught me off guard. It caught me off guard. Um, I acted as though I did not hear it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when I, when he cracked the joke, I looked at the other two neighbors who were white. Okay. And um, they didn't respond to it as well. So I, I, I let it go only because, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the time or the place to, you know, say anything. Right. So about a week later, this is when I had him and his fiance over at my house and um, we were watching a comedy show. And uh, after we got done watching the comedy show, I had to ask him, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, I got a question for you. He was, hey, what's up? I said, uh, were your parents racist raising you? And, and his eyebrows went up like, like, where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. I said, you know, were, were they racist? And he goes, yeah. He goes, they, they were racist. I said, okay. He goes, why do you ask? I said, because you crack a lot of racist jokes. 
And I wanted to find out, you know, where your, where your head was, you know? I wanted to see, are you racist? Are you, you know, are you the nice guy who is a racist behind being nice? You know, just because you're nice don't mean you're not racist. Right. Okay. So um, he, he went on to tell me, no, I'm not racist. Um, you know, I have, I have coworkers that I work with that are, that are black and all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay. But he, he did apologize. And so I, I brought to his attention the night that we had gone up to our neighbor's house and he cracked that joke. Um, he apologized to me for saying whatever it was because I didn't at the time remember really what he had said, although I knew it, it bothered me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, was, he, he claimed that he was unaware that you know, he had said anything offensively to me or m- mentioned anything offensively. Like I said, he was apologetic. But then later on, it, it, it bothered him. So he played the victim mm-hmm. role, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was like, <laughs> how, how do you do that? I mean, you know, I'm sitting here I'm, and I'm, I'm talking to him as a man, you know, right. um, like it was something that was on my, on my chest and I had to get it off my chest. And I, and I, I did it. I did it in a way where I didn't, you know, I didn't cuss him out. Right. You I did it in a respectful way. I did it in a respectful way. And, um, he apologized, like I said, but then he took offense because I was offended. Mm. And I'm like, you know, he has a, he had a habit of, I guess, doing this. And he felt that it was okay to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to let him know was number one, it bothered me that he had cracked his joke in front of somebody that I was barely getting acquainted with that right. doesn't know me in that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to make him, I wanted to let him know that he needed to, if he's going to crack jokes like that, he needs to be aware of his surroundings. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. You know, I mean, because I don't want someone thinking that, um, you know, they can just crack a, a black joke at me around somebody that I'm not even cool with on that level. Right. And then they feel they can crack black jokes. You know, we're going to have some issues. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't nip it in the bud, then it's just going to fester and grow. You know, you give exactly. them an inch, they're going to take a yard. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Def- definitely understand that. What do you think about this statement? Um, a lot of people has been, you know, posting this social media, et cetera, everywhere. Uh, and they say, you know, and of course it's, you know, non, non-black persons or people that are, are, are stating this. They saying how to avoid being shot by the police. And then they state one example, don't be a criminal. What do you, what do you take from that, that statement? You know, is it a true statement? I will say, I will say this, probably eight times out of the 10 that I have seen a situation where an officer has shot a man of color happen because that particular person escalated the situation to where it didn't have to be. That person meaning the, the, uh, a the black man. Uh, okay. Yes. You know, I, I grew up, I grew up, like I said, having, learning how to respect authority, whether it's my mom, my dad, another elder, law enforcement or whatnot, you know, and when they tell you something, you know, I was always taught to, to listen, mm-hmm. you know, have you on that question again, you were asking the question. Oh yeah. Um, the, well, the statement that's been going around, it says how to avoid being shot by police. And one of the examples is don't be a criminal. Okay. I, I wouldn't necessarily don't be a criminal. I, I think that's a stereotype because I mean, a lot of the guys who have been shot aren't committing any, you know, serious crimes to where it's justified. It's justified, correct. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to what you stated, you stated that you was always, you know, raised to treat, you know, law enforcement and people of authority with respect. 
do you feel that a lot of these instances where, you know, it's been getting a lot of coverage, do you feel that due to them or the environment that they have been accustomed to, let's take, for example, you know, they see, you know, police in the neighborhoods day in and day out. They see the constant harassment, et cetera. Do you feel that has some impact on how they interact with law enforcement when they are the ones being addressed by law enforcement? Maybe to some degree, I would say yes. However, it doesn't change the fact that matter is that law enforcement is there to enforce the laws. Mm -hmm. And if they feel that you are a potential suspect for whatever reason, all you need to do is just follow the instructions that he's giving you. Mm -hmm. you know, if they want to ask you a question, answer it, you know, or don't answer it at all, you know? But I mean, you don't have to escalate the situation because when you escalate the situation, you're going to cause mm -hmm. an officer to escalate his situation, you know? Right. Now I've had conversations with other, other guests as well, and they've, they've been pulled over by law enforcement before, and they stated that due to them just being, you know, a black male, of course, the officer not knowing that they are a peace officer or in law enforcement, that the officers would approach the vehicle already in their mind, uh, treating them as if they were a criminal by their demeanor, by their tone of voice. Uh, you know, everything was in a demeaning type of nature, a condescending tone. Um, and it wasn't until after the fact that they found out who they were, that that tone and that, you know, conversation changed. Have you have you had any experiences like that, or or what do you what do you, what is your take on on that as as how as as far as how officers speak to different individuals? <laughs> I mean, me personally, I am a law-abiding citizen, so I haven't put myself in that particular situation where I have had contact with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, look, looking at social media and stuff like that. I mean. There was that case, I believe it was up in uh, Montana or somewhere where the, the guy was a postal worker, I think. And he was shot by the officer. Him, his, his girlfriend was recording live on Facebook Live. Mm. And he was shot. He had a CCW, a concealed weapons permit. Okay. Mm -hmm. he, had, he had informed the officer that he had his concealed weapon on. Right, him. right. Mm -hmm. And then he was shot. I mean, like something like that. I mean, that was, to me, that was... Um, that officer was way out of line, definitely took the situation to a, to another level that didn't have to be there. You know, and I think that comes from training and experience. I think he was inexperienced, that officer was. Mm -hmm. now, another question for you. Do you feel that it's, it's important or it's a necessity that people that work in the law enforcement realm, that they need to understand their clientele or the environment that they're that they're um, policing or supervising. Do you think that that is something that is, is needed for them to have that understanding of who, who they're working with or getting to know the community that they, that they work in? I think that would be important. I mean, I know that there's, you know, I'll say LAPD. I mean, they're, they're working the same beats, you know, day by day. However, their, their, their training process, I think is, they're, they're, I don't know, I don't, they're, they're policing, I guess, you know, they're not, mm -hmm. they're not there to provide a, a service to the community, you know, and I think that um, more training needs to be done with that. So, so you're saying they're more uh, reactive as opposed to proactive. 
exactly. in a sense. Exactly, okay. yes. All right. Um, well, we're going to get ready to, to wrap up this interview. But before we do, anything you want to say to our listeners, any advice, any tidbits, anything uh, as final thoughts? You know, I just want to say that, um, you know, not all law enforcement are bad. Not all cops are bad cops. Mm-hmm. Um, every man is is their own man, just like every criminal or citizen is their own person, you know, and, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't pass judgment on anybody based on their, their race or the way they look, you know, do you need to be cautious? Yes. Do you need to be aware of what your surroundings? Yes. And I I don't think that's going to be something that's going to ever change, you know, because, you know, like I said, working in law enforcement, I'm always not on edge, but I'm always watching my surroundings, Mm -hmm. you know? I would just say, you know, if you are stopped by law enforcement for whatever reason, don't put up a fight. Just, you know, just follow the instructions. Make yourself make yourself as less of a threat to that officer as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you get pulled over, you know, make sure you roll all your windows down, turn on your dome light in your car, have your hands on your, drive, on your steering wheel, and, uh, you know, keys on the dashboard. That shouldn't give them any reason for them to, to escalate the situation other than what they're pulling you over for. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for those last final words. Again, Brother Evans, we appreciate you coming on to the Black and Blue podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to do this. Uh, This has been another episode of Black and Blue, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Black and Blue podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review.